Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Greetings, everyone. I'm Vicki Basplega, Director of the Clinical Specialist and Scientist section here at ASHP, and thanks for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature from the exceptional programming from the 2021 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice at the world's largest gathering of pharmacists. So I think most of us are well aware that COPD is a a large burden on the U.S. health system. It's the third leading cause of death, and it it accounts for a, a large number of hospitalizations and costs. And roughly 20% of the patients are readmitted within 30 days following one of these hospitalizations. That puts it at the third leading cause of readmissions in the United States as well. But notably, of this large number that are readmitted, only about a third of those are due to COPD. And if you broaden that to all respiratory conditions, such as asthma or respiratory failure, even pneumonia, you still only approach about 50% of patients being readmitted for respiratory conditions. So that leaves another half of those readmissions due to something else, which is you know, a reason why we focused on multimorbidity for this talk about transitions of care with COPD. So the American Thoracic Society put together a a readmissions kind of work group and their report focused on about six key themes. And I think one, you know, these are the noteworthy things that this group came up with for us to kind of focus on as we think of ways to reduce readmissions or just address the problem that is um, these high rates of readmissions with COPD. The first was communication. They highlighted that um, the patient advocates in the group really commented on this, and I think it became apparent through through some of the research and literature reviews that uh, communication was was lacking, particularly in the areas of patient education, that, that you know, two-thirds of patients had inadequate understanding of what an exacerbation was, and about one in six didn't even know what a COPD exacerbation was. So I think when you compare that to other disease states and patient education, you see that we're falling short with COPD. They also identified that readmissions were a proxy for, for other healthcare factors likely. So whether that's just something as simple as, as poor adherence or some of the social determinants of health, things like that, that um, or even you know, multimorbidity that we're talking about that's gone unaddressed, um, could be you know, uncovered by these readmissions. They said that implementation, this is a, a point they made a couple times, implementation of the guidelines is great, but alone it's insufficient. And that in fact, we're doing a pretty good job of getting people on guideline-directed medical therapy in COPD, but these readmissions are still continuing. And so they highlight the importance of things like patient education and adherence and focusing on comorbidities um, as ways to combat this. I won't speak much on on this, but part of their work group was comparing different strategies for reducing readmissions. So these programs, and they identify that it's very challenging to um, evaluate these programs. And so that has to do with a lot with, with coding and just how we talk about COPD. Quality of care is, is paramount. So they really say that you know, readmission rates might be the wrong metric. It's kind of the metric we've been giving, but that um, they cited a heart failure study, which uh, identified that lower rates of readmission were actually associated with higher mortality. And the, the point there is that, you know, patients that die can't can't be readmitted to the hospital. So that focusing on other quality issues might be more important than just getting readmission rates down. And again, Paul will talk about this some, but better tools to identify those high-risk patients are also needed um, for 
reducing readmissions. So why multimorbidity? Um, why not just talk about comorbidities? And I'll, I'll talk about comorbidities plenty, but I really wanted to focus on and bring to mind what this kind of new or newer thought with, with COPD and multimorbidity is, that this, these clusters of diseases actually exist and that they're probably, you know, associated with this systemic inflammation that's going on in COPD, not just pulmonary inflammation, but that COPD is being more and more recognized as a chronic inflammatory condition, and it's being coined inflammaging. And so this kind of process of this increased inflammation kind of enhancing the aging process and these patients kind of developing these clusters of diseases um, that, that kind of fit in with that. <clears throat> It goes beyond, uh, I think a lot of times we think about comorbidities, we think about cardiovascular disease with COPD and things like that, that and lung cancer that have smoking as a shared risk factor, but it goes beyond that. And it's a prevalence that's greater than can be explained by just smoking. And in fact, when you look at airflow obstruction and kind of the, the decreasing uh, functionality of the lung, you'll see that that's associated with greater comorbidity and that's independent of age or smoking status. And again, a lot of this seems to be due to this chronic low-level systemic, not pulmonary, but systemic inflammation that's associated with these greater mortality rates. Suffice to say, there's lots of proposed mechanisms. Nobody really knows exactly what's happened. That's what, not what this talks about. And just know that research is expanding, and maybe one day we'll have some answers as to kind of why COPD um, is related with so many different comorbidities. Kind of the second question here, which comorbidities are more prevalent in patients with COPD than in the general population? If you looked ahead, you'd see that, that, that they're all more prevalent, right? So it's kind of the middle column here. The yeses are kind of overwhelming us there. So there's big, big ranges in the prevalence here, but you see all of these. And this is a short list. The list is much, much longer than this, and that COPD is definitely related with um, having a high comorbidity burden. So and many of these increase the mortality associated with that disease um, as well. When we talked about worsening lung function and that's association, if you look at the normal patients, these are three disease states here, diabetes, hypertension, and CO, I mean, cardiovascular disease. If you look kind of normal as our comparator, you'll see that if you remember gold one, that's those patients who probably don't know they have COPD yet. Their FEV1 is still greater than 80%. Um, but you see gold two is kind of that, you know, 50 to 80 percent. And gold three and four is what we used to call severe and very severe COPD. Those patients, you know, have a much higher rates of diabetes, hypertension, and cardiovascular disease. So you see that kind of the, what I was talking about a second ago, this, you know, decreasing lung function is associated with an increased rates of comorbidities. So we've highlighted that comorbidities are, are common and we know patients that have more comorbidities would probably have worse quality of life and then therefore also these comorbid conditions can increase your risk of exacerbations, which therefore are gonna increase your rates of hospitalization and increase mortality. But I wanna take a minute just to highlight kind of how, how largely the impact is. And so having multi-morbidity morbidities, you know, better correlates with your health-related quality of life than does FEV1. So even though their lung function is decreasing, they're getting more and more short of breath, those comorbidities are a better predictor even than that of kind of where they stand. And in fact, patients with three or more comorbidities, if you look at the St. George's Respiratory Questionnaire, kind of the, the bottom bullet here, increasing by eight points, well, what does that mean? 
um, a change of four points in St. George's Respiratory Questionnaire, which is kind of our best uh, marker of respiratory quality of life, a change of four in that is considered clinically meaningful. That's something a patient can perceive. They can tell that their their quality of life has diminished if that's increased by four points. Most drugs can't even decrease it by four points, which is considered clinically meaningful. So the increase of eight points is definitely a meaningful change for those patients. When we think about what causes death in COPD, I think a lot of people are surprised. You would think that pulmonary causes of death would be by and large the, the largest cause of death. But in fact, cardiovascular disease and cancer are right up there with respiratory causes of death in COPD. And you'll see that as, again, back to kind of this uh, gold airflow limitation scale, gold one, two, three, or four is kind of as your uh, pulmonary function decreases, your likelihood of respiratory death increases. But early in those disease states, before you lose that pulmonary functionality, you're much more likely to die of cardiac disease or lung cancer. So you see here in gold one or two, you know, about you know, 25% uh, die of cardiac diseases, 25% of lung cancer, but only about 3 or 4% from respiratory causes in, in the gold one or two categories. This is the impact of comorbid diseases on mortality. So if you look at ischemic heart disease here, you see that it increases your risk of death about 27 to 50% in a patient with just COPD alone. So you see that it's not just that these comorbidities are a nuisance or anything, they have a real meaningful impact on mortality um, that's quite substantial. Even something like anxiety, you see a very large increase on mortality there. But those of us who kind of work with those patients with COPD, we know that they have, you know, this anxiety kind of profile patient is readmitted a lot and they have a lot of difficulty with COPD. And then finally, I wanted to just think about predictors of hospital readmissions. What do we know? In, in this particular study, comorbidities played a big role in being a predictor of hospital readmissions. I think a lot of times we think about things like, you know, a long hospital stay or an ICD, ICU admission or, you know, severe COPD, but we may not think about controlled heart failure or controlled depression, but this is not just having, you know, an exacerbation of heart failure. This is just the existence of heart failure depression can increase your risk of, of hospital readmission by, you know, 20 to 30%. So substantial risk there. And each point increase on the Charleston index increased readmissions by 24%. So I think that's something that to keep in mind when you're thinking about these patients. And again, like Paul's going to kind of go into some of these predictors and, and that sort of thing of hospital readmission when he gets into his section in just a second. My name is Paul Boylan, and I am going to be covering this midsection of our presentation, taking you on the crosswalk of COPD and transitions of care, and also perhaps touching on some controversies in the pharmacotherapy, managing those comorbidities alongside COPD. So to keep you engaged and, of course, do active learning, we're going to start off with a clinical case. So this might be a patient that you might encounter in your clinical practice. I know this is the type of patient that I see in my practice at OU Medical Center here in the Great Plains of the United States. And that is a 67-year-old gentleman is preparing for discharge after an acute exacerbation of COPD. He was under our care in the hospital for about a week. 
And when we're looking at his profile, we see that he doesn't have just purely COPD, but he also has peptic ulcer disease, and he has some Alzheimer's dementia that's characterized by a mild cognitive deficit. When we're looking through the electronic medical record, we're also able to see that this gentleman, this is his first emergency department visit that led to a hospitalization for COPD in the last 12 months. We're being good stewards of discharge medication planning and find out that he has a prescription drug plan with Medicare Part D. We're looking at spirometry with the respiratory therapist and the pulmonologist who saw the patient in the hospital. We see that his FEV1 is around 60% predicted, and his home medication list is what we'd imagine for a patient with more moderate to severe COPD. He's taking inhaled corticosteroid, a long-acting muscarinic antagonist, a long-acting beta agonist. He has a short-acting medication to relieve some breakthrough symptoms, and he's managing that peptic ulcer disease with a proton pump inhibitor. The first question that I'll pose for you is, what is the best instrument or tool that is going to help us assess not only this patient's COPD, but also factor in that he has comorbidities and how these things may come into play for his overall morbidity and mortality? I've listed a couple options for you here. I would encourage you just take a moment Circle one of the options or jot a note off to the side. There's no penalty for wrong answers right now. We'll cover this over the next couple slides. So it comes as no surprise, and Nathan kind of shared this with you earlier, that we as pharmacists and clinical pharmacists are very familiar with how to stage and categorize COPD. You know that there are degrees of airflow limitation one, two, three, and four. You also know there's classifications, letter classifications of COPD. A, B, C, and D, and all of those classifications and severities are dependent upon three variables. The degree of airflow instruction measured by an FEV1, the patient's degree of shortness of breath or their symptoms, and how many times they wind up presenting to the emergency department or the hospital with exacerbations of uncontrolled lung disease. Those three items are prognosticated that we know that in the long term, they do a good job of predicting COPD-related mortality. However, we need some other data and information to help us make more informed decisions for our patients who are experiencing acute exacerbations and presenting to the inpatient setting. Exactly as Nathan had shared earlier, we know that getting patients on evidence-based pharmacotherapy improves outcomes, and we're doing a great job with that. But what our epidemiology data is also showing is that we're still seeing worsening of COPD-related mortality, and that number is bumping up. And so there represents an opportunity for not only physicians and nurses and the entire healthcare team, but we as the medication experts to be more involved in COPD patients' care coordination and working with those interprofessional teams to identify patients who are at greatest risk for worsening morbidity and mortality. So it's really important to also recognize that those comorbidities help to influence and play alongside those acute exacerbations of COPD and that if a patient represents with another exacerbation and they come back for a rehospitalization, it may not just be due to the COPD alone. Those other inflammation and aging domains may be playing a role. So I've listed a, for, a few for you here, and they're very similar to what Nathan has previously co colored or covered. But what I did want to highlight, there's a couple that I've highlighted in red. Diabetes, heart failure, and coronary artery disease 
Although common, those are things that we have seen on validated instruments, specifically the Charleston Comorbidity Index, which I would imagine many of you have some experience with before. And what we've seen in some studies is that as patients' comorbidity burden increases, we also see increases in the risk for mortality associated with acute exacerbations of COPD. Now, if you're like me, I, I'm in an academic role and I'm in a clinical role, and I have a very finite schedule during the day, and I struggle on trying to find out which patients truly need my help and which patients do I want to send my students to. And I try and take the gray that is clinical pharmacy and medicine, and I try and make it more black and white. One of the ways that works for me for this is using risk prediction tools or models to try and identify which patients are at highest risk for acute exacerbations or who have this comorbidity burden. My next challenge is once I've found a risk prediction tool, is it really the best tool to try and use? So for example, we know the Charleston Comorbidity Index does a very good job of measuring comorbidity, especially as it relates to overall mortality. The issue with that instrument is it's not specific to COPD patients. It may factor in COPD into its overall calculation, but it doesn't necessarily prognosticate itself for COPD alone. On the converse, there may be some COPD instruments, for example, the Bode Index, which has been validated in COPD patients. However, it doesn't look at all of the comorbidities like a Charleston comorbidity does. The Bode index is only looking at body mass index or BMI alone. And we know that patients have a lot of other comorbid conditions besides obesity. So it's really challenging to try and find the right tool to use. Many of you, I would imagine, are familiar with the LACE score. I know in some medical records it may already be built into your system lists. LACE is very common. In those domains include length of stay, admission acuity, comorbidity, and emergency department utilization over six months. Although it's a very good instrument in helping to look at 30-day readmission risks, just like the Charleston Comorbidity Index, the LACE Index for rehospitalization is not a COPD specific instrument. My beef with this particular tool is that it sometimes gets a little bit skewed depending on how patients score in each of those domains, specifically their length of stay and their comorbidity. I would imagine many of you have a practice similar to me that you can optimize pharmacotherapy and stabilize a patient 24, 48, 72 hours into admission, but you may have difficulty with managed care or discharge placement which unnecessarily prolongs that patient's length of stay. So although the LACE score might say the patient's at high risk for readmission, it may be falsely elevated just based on that one domain. As I kind of hinted at, at the previous slide, the Bode index was looking at one comorbidity along with COPD, specifically body mass index or central adiposity, but it also tried to factor in some more COPD-specific domains that being airflow obstruction, shortness of breath, specifically dyspnea, and patient's exercise capacity. What we had seen in previous trials is that the higher your score on that Bode instrument, the worse the patient's risk for mortality was one year after using the instrument. But again, isn't there another tool that we possibly could have used that might factor in more comorbidities, especially those that are cardiovascular, metabolic, behavioral health, and malignancy? If you're wondering, yes, stay tuned.
That is the codex index. Now, that uh, long story short, for this particular instrument, it was derived from a European data set. It was validated in both inpatient and outpatient settings, which I think is valuable for its external validity into our clinical practices, whether you're an ambulatory care or an inpatient pharmacist. One of the things that you'll see in the trial that it was validated in is that we compared the codex index against other COPD, mortality and readmission risk scores, ADO, BODE, and DOSE. It's less important for me that you know the different abbreviations here, but just recognize ADO is specifically looking at age, dyspnea, obstruction, BODE, we've previously discussed what it was looking at, and the dose instrument swaps out the age and instead adds in uh, smoking status as their S. In transitions of care literature, and at least looking at readmission risk literature, when you're looking at a lot of these tools, you'll oftentimes see in the study something called a C statistic. So I just wanted to take a moment to bombard you with some basic biostats and study design just to recognize that the C statistic stands for the concordance statistic, and that it's measured on a scale of 0.5 to 1. The higher your score on that C statistic is telling you the better job that your instrument is doing at predicting a patient's overall risk for whatever outcome you're looking at. So in this case, we're looking at mortality related to acute exacerbations of COPD, but also factoring in comorbidity. Here's what the codex looks at. There's four different domains. It looks at comorbidity as measured by the Charleston Comorbidity Index. It's looking at obstruction, once again, FEV1. It looks at patient-reported symptoms, specifically that of shortness of breath measured by the Modified Medical Research Council questionnaire. And then finally, it's looking at to see how well a patient's COPD is controlled, the number of exacerbations or flare-ups that they've experienced that require an ED visit or hospitalization within the last year. What I really like about the Codex Index and what I think we'll cover in our presentation and time together today is to see it's fairly well balanced across the various domains that regardless of comorbidity, obstruction, shortness of breath, or exacerbation, patients are able to score a relatively similar number of points. The minimum score that a patient would get on Codex would be zero, meaning there are relatively few comorbidities and their COPD is doing a-okay whereas the highest score, the maximum score, would be a 10, indicating that they have satisfied all of these domains at their maximum values. So what have we seen? The CODEX instrument was validated and published in the American College of Chest Physicians Journal back in 2014, and what it demonstrated was it was a significantly good predictor of determining mortality. And it wasn't just looking at COPD-related mortality, but also at mort mortality that owed to those other comorbidities that patients had, specifically cardiovascular disease as well as malignant disease. Interestingly enough, maybe I'm taking a little bit of a dig at that Bode instrument, but we saw in the study that BMI, although a comorbidity, wasn't necessarily as strong of a predictor for mortality as the global and holistic assessment of all of those comorbidities by means of the Charleston Comorbidity Index. And I mentioned that it was compared against the ADO looking at age, the Bode looking at BMI, and the dose looking at smoking cessation or smoking status. 
Codex had the greatest C statistic showing that it was the best thing that we could use to try and predict mortality out of all of the available and most commonly used instruments in patients with COPD and multimorbidity. So the next thing I'd like to try and talk about in the presentation is going through the role of the pharmacist, specifically the transitions of care pharmacist for the COPD patient with comorbidity. I think it comes as no surprise to all of us that the role of the pharmacist in transitions of care is well described and that we are encouraged to be part of interprofessional teams to optimize medication management as patients move through phases of care. The gold guidelines, at least their most recent 2021 report, also shares this as well. However, I was a little bit curious, so I did a little bit of searching through the guidelines, and I would encourage you to do so as well. They don't really often mention comorbidity and transitions of care as often as I think that they should. There's only one reference to transitions of care in those guidelines. And so the, I think this represents a great opportunity for an assessment of the literature and perhaps future opportunities for pharmacy-driven research projects. One study that I found as I was putting together this presentation was called the PIC-COPD Plus Randomized Controlled Trial. And what this study was looking at was patients with more moderate to severe COPD that also had comorbidity. And it tried to give them a fairly robust and intensive care coordination program. The components of that package included providing COPD-specific education, making patients good stewards of their self-care to make sure that they understood their warning signs, it was optimizing telehealth, which I think that we all recognized in this age of COVID is here to stay, that there was good communication between all of the members of the interprofessional care team, especially case managers, primary care physicians, and pulmonary specialists, and the importance of working with patients who were in exacerbations despite optimizing all of those other things I've just mentioned, that getting them into an ambulatory care environment would be better and less costly and less problematic than just encouraging them to go to the ED for an urgent and arguably preventable hospitalization. The two cohorts in this randomized trial were those who received that comprehensive intervention package or patients who received a standard of care, which included seeing their primary every three months, going for pulmonary rehabilitation, as well as getting action planning to be aware of their signs and symptoms. The comorbidities that we saw in this particular trial were very similar to what Nathan and I have discussed with you today. I do want to pull out one caveat is that one in five patients in this study did have comorbid depression, and we'll talk about that extensively today. If you may be wondering, all right, well, were they on the right drugs? Because that's always something that we're looking out for. Yes, these patients were on some version of a long-acting bronchodilator in the form of a LABA or a LAMA. But it is also important to recognize that baseline, these were frequent flyers in the healthcare system. They were often in the ED or they all almost had at least one hospitalization within the past calendar year. The results were a little bit surprising based on maybe perhaps what I've hyped them up to be so far. The primary outcome of this study was looking to assess emergency department reutilization in these patients to find out if this comprehensive package kept patients out of the ED. Unfortunately, this study did not find statistically significant benefits to that avail. In their secondary analysis, though, the authors determined that patients who received the intervention did have benefits on their mortality, but there were no improvements in disease progression, 
quality of life, or comorbidity. So it was definitely not what we were expecting. I think what a salient point is that we need to cover is that we can do everything we can to provide education to patients and caregivers and the interprofessional team about managing and providing self-care. And we can do everything possible, like we saw in the study, that patients were on evidence-based pharmacotherapy for COPD. But getting those comorbidities under control is going to be equally as important as managing the COPD and providing the education itself. And so in this particular study, I think there was a missed opportunity to have pharmacists involved, whether or not they were community pharmacist, ambulatory pharmacist, inpatient clinical pharmacist, whatever their practice setting was, to have them jump in and optimize the pharmacotherapy for the cardiovascular disorder, to recommend drugs, to treat the comorbid depression, to work with those endocrine disorders. I also want to take a moment because I think we talk a lot about transitions of care, and sometimes we forget what the definition of transitions of care is. Very simply put, it is the movement of a patient from one healthcare setting to another. And in this study, I think there may have been over-reliance on telehealth and telecommunications between the case managers and the physicians. Remember, these patients are going to be taking chronic maintenance pharmacotherapy for these disorders. And when patients are presenting to those clinics or those community pharmacies, that represents a connection in the care continuum that those patients can work with the pharmacist and the pharmacist can work with the providers and the interprofessional team to get those drugs optimized, whether it's for the COPD or the other disorder. Thanks so much for listening in today. Be sure to follow us at ASHB Official wherever you listen to your podcasts and check back soon to hear more featurettes from the 2021 ASHB Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Vicki Basiliga from ASHB Official and thank you for all you do for your patients. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.